Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. I'm Rick Burgess. Thanks for being with us. We continue through the Gospel of John. If you're new to this Bible study, we've been in here for about four years. Uh, we started broadcasting uh, live on the YouTube channel maybe what, a year and a half or so ago. Uh, but you can always go back if there's things you've missed. And a lot of you email me to let me know you've gone back and found other series that we've done. You can find all those audio uh, at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on Listen. You can find, uh, you know, if it's been in the last year and a half, you can find it archived here on the YouTube channel as well. Now, we're, we're in, uh, you know, we're 25 weeks in uh, to the Gospel of John, and today we will be in John 14, and John 14 is rich, rich, rich. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to jump in. We have a lot to cover today, so we won't, won't get into a lot of announcements. The only thing I want you to know is that themanchurch.com does go live on Monday. Uh, it is going live on Monday, and uh, you can... Go there if you are a small group or you're a church and you need us to help you to implement a men's discipleship strategy. We have one. We've got a 40-week curriculum that goes with that. I'll be teaching that via video for 12 to 15 minutes. Then we'll be giving you study guides for the group to then go through uh, for the rest of the time that they're together. And we're ready to consult with you if we need to. So themanchurch.com, don't forget the word the, themanchurch.com. It goes live on Monday, uh, March the 2nd. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for the, the challenge that we have today. And, and, and Lord, today this truth is something that we must grasp and we must understand today. It, it is crucial that we understand the lesson today. It will affect everything about our relationship with you going forward. And, and also this is something that's, that seems to be uh, uh, a bit of disagreement and, and a war raging concerning this, this topic today. So help us, Lord, to grasp it, to apply it, and hear from you, directly from you. In the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Um, all right, so if you have your Bible, go to John 14, and we're going to jump right in. I'm going to try to get through the entire chapter. That is my goal. Uh, now, I, if we don't make it, then we'll come back and finish it up next week. But the goal is to get into 14. Make a note that next Wednesday uh, we will be here, but the Wednesday following that I will not be here. I'll actually be on vacation uh, uh, in the in mid, whatever that, that week is of March. It's not next week, but it's the one after. So uh, two weeks from today, we will not be here, and then I'll be back the following week. All right, so let's, let's start in, uh, in John 14, uh, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So first of all, we know that, uh, that he has just talked about the new commandment last week. Before that, He's been telling them that he's going to be betrayed. So he's letting them know that he's starting this process to the cross. And, and then he just told Peter that in, when, when, you know, when the rubber meets the road, when you're pressed on your relationship with me, you're actually not going to stand with me. You're actually going to deny me three times. And as we talked about the last week, and we'll get into it when we get, we get there, you know, Peter, I think, was willing to fight with Jesus. We talked about last week that, you know, the, the cutting the ear off that Peter did, we know that's actually a miss. He wasn't trying to cut somebody's ear off. And Peter, I think, was ready to stand with Jesus. I think John was ready to stand with Jesus because of all the things they had seen. But then when Jesus said, no, the game plan is we're going to allow ourselves to be arrested, I'm actually going to the cross, then that was something they decided they didn't want to be part of, and they fled and they left him. And Jesus predicted that this was going to happen, but then he follows up with the words, hey, let not your heart be troubled. He's headed to the cross, and he is, which is great, this is very moving, that he is legitimately concerned about the state of the disciples. He, you know, everything now shifted. Remember when the Gentiles showed up, he then shifted from this big uh, you know, three-year ministry that was going out macro, and now he's micro. He's now preparing uh, the 11 for them to be prepared for what's coming next, and he is telling them, look, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, there's a, there's a lot coming, and I'm trying to prepare you for you. And when this happens, I want you to trust in God, uh, and 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 He knows that they trust in God the Father. I mean, these are devout Jewish men. He knows they trust in God the Father. But what He's trying to say now is the way that you trust in God the Father, the things you've always known about God. I want you to understand that believing in Me is the same thing as believing in God, because I've been trying to teach you that the Father and I are one. He's trying to say, think about everything you believe about the Father, that you trust in that, but you also trust in me because what? I'm now the narrator for the Father. 
You know, don't think that you have this relationship with the Father and then I've come along, I'm this guy you hadn't really figured out yet, and then when I go away from you, you're going to freak out as if, you, as, as if you've been abandoned. You distrust in what we've talked about the way you've trust into the fa- trusted in the Father. And he's concerned. We should love this, that the great I am, the beginning and the end, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, I mean, we're talking about there for creation, spoke creation into, into existence, that, that still he cares enough to know, I understand you're troubled, and I'm telling you, don't let your heart be troubled. Uh, everything I'm doing, trust me, this is for your own good. you got to trust me right now. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment from Jesus to the disciples, and always remember it with us as well. So let's go to, to, to verse 2 and 3. Here's what he says next. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Beautiful. Hey, yes, I'm about to go, but let me prepare you. This is a good thing that I'm going. Let not your heart be troubled. Yes, I'm about to go, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this, of course, is is referring to the second coming. uh, But it also can be referring to their impending earthly death. It can be both. I mean, we know that now, because we're still here, that these men don't make it to the second coming. They die before the second coming. So likely what he's saying to them is, look, you're going, when you die, understand that this good that I go, because now because I'm going to the cross, now because I'm going to pay the debt for sin, now that I'm going to fulfill all the law, I'm going to complete everything, as I have been telling you, your sin will be defeated, the sacrificial uh, you know, system will be over, I'll be the final Lamb of God, and then when I walk out of that tomb, I'm going to spend 40 days with you preparing you for your ministry. I'm going to start the church age. And then I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to go to where the Father is. And I'm going to start preparing a place for you so that when it ends, when your life ends or I return, whichever happens first, you can come to where I am. So he's really saying this is all good. Don't be concerned about this. And, and, and I, I love when he gives you the reassuring stuff when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I love that John lets us know that he says, look, if this wasn't true, I wouldn't be saying it. I'm not saying this to give you some false sense of security. And look, y'all grab that today. I'm saying it because it's true. I really am going to prepare a place for you, and you really will be able to come to where I am, and I really will take you to myself, and where I am and where the Father is, you will be also. This really is the truth. Somebody say amen to that. And so that's what he's saying. He says, so when he talks about his Father's house, we know the Father's house is in heaven, and he's speaking to the disciples about being with Jesus in his place. Of course, he knows he's talking about being with him in heaven. Let's, let's, look, at, let's look at verse 4, because we got a lot to cover. And you know the way to where I am going. All right, so we're about to, now he's about to have to do a Q&A here. You know the way to where I'm going. You know what it is. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever, have you ever said to your children, now you know the answer to this. Meaning you've been taught this, and you ever try to test them to see, hey, now look, I've told you this. So the answer is, and, and, and you're hoping that they've got it. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, you know the way to where I'm going. And he's saying, you know the way because you know me. And he's about to tell them in a minute that he is the way. So you know the way because you know me, right? Well, Thomas says, not so fast. And so Thomas is, says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? has to be a little frustrating for Jesus here. Thomas makes it very clear that we are not tracking with you. You know, this, this is Jesus' test. Y'all tracking with me? Thomas says what? No. Likely he's speaking for the group. But, but Thomas just says, look, got to tell you, I'm not following you here. Ever had that feeling? Ever been in a class? And, and, the, and the teacher comes to you and says, everybody with me? And you're thinking, I am not with you. I'm not following this at all. So Thomas just wants to make clear, we, I, I don't get this. I don't know what you're talking about. It. I don't know how we're supposed to know the way. So then Jesus comes back, and here it comes. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and it's a biggie. It is, a, and it is chocked full. Look at, look at 14.6. Here it comes. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Exclusivity. 
You know what this is? Christianity is not just another religion. This is it. This is the truth. And he says, so you've been with me. I now narrate for the Father. I've told you the Father and I are one. I've told you that I've come here to now provide the way to the Father. And the way is me, Thomas. I am providing the way. You follow me. That's the way to the Father. Now, he unpacks some other things, so let's talk about this for a minute. Jesus is the way because, you know, he's been telling this, but he's, he's also, he's the truth of God. He's the life of God. Jesus is truth because he narrates for God. Jesus is life uh, because, of what, because of the resurrection. I'm going to actually show you that. What is he, he's already said this earlier. What did he say? I'm the resurrection and the, and the life. But there is no life except through me. I'm the truth of the situation. I'm the truth of the solution. I am life because I give life and I take life. You've seen me raise people from the dead. Because when did he say I'm the resurrection and the life? Before he raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to show you that I'm in charge. I, I, I can just call life and I produce life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as we said again... The main thing that resounds and, and the world hates is Jesus said, you no longer can take my people. These Christ-like people, which we learned in Acts, was a derogatory statement. Here come the Christians making fun of them saying that they were Christ-like. And what he's saying is, this Christianity, this church, these disciples of mine, they're not part of just some other belief system. This is, this is it. Rick, are there many ways to heaven? No. Hey, I'm sorry. If you're watching this and you've been told that or you're listening to this, that's not true. Well, who says? Jesus says. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only truth is me. The only life is me. The only way to the Father to get to heaven, to have eternal life, and be forgiven of sin is me. That's it. There's there, Nothing else works. And so... This is also used, and some of you know how to use this, but because some of you are, are, are far along in your walk, some may be newer. This is the verse you've got to hang on to when somebody says, well, I think Jesus was a great teacher. I think he was a, maybe a prophet, or maybe he was a good man, uh, but I do not believe that he is God. I do not believe in his deity. And you know what you say? I'm sorry, Jesus took that off the table. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If he said that, he's not a good teacher because he's teaching lies. He's not a good man because he lies. And he thinks he's God, so he's a loon. So, so the, the, all those options are off the table. Jesus is exactly who he says he is, or he is the biggest scam of all time. There's no in-between. And what, what human beings, because of what's coming next, what human beings try to do is say, I want to land somewhere else. I'm not sure I'm really ready to reject him, but I'm not really sure I'm ready to receive him either. Can I put him in some sort of, you know, a lock, you know some kind of guru? No, he won't allow it by this verse right here. But he continues. So let's look at 14.7. 14.7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, from now on, you do know him and have seen me. Okay, now this is this is where this is where this whole this is where this whole thing is starting to to elevate a little bit. Now Jesus is starting to say, "Look, I've made this clear. I made this real clear, and I'm gonna tell you now. I'm gonna start to get on you a little bit." Okay, I, I, I'm not trying to speak for Jesus. That would be a mistake. But what I'm saying is, he's clearly saying, "I'm really getting kind of frustrated with this this thing y'all can't seem to get." And he comes back and says, "If you really knew the Father." Because that's what you said. All of you being Jewish men, you've claimed that you knew the Father. But if you really knew the Father, and, and then you would know me because if you knew my Father, then knowing me uh, would, would have been enough. Because I said the Father and I are, are one, and you said, well, I know the Father. You say, well, I, then, you know who, then you of all people should know who I am. From now on, because of the time that you've been with me, you will know the Father because you have seen me, I and the Father am one. At this point, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to dumb this down because we need to be in a holy place right now. But I will make this point. There's almost a point in here where this feels a little green eggs and ham. Where Jesus just keeps saying over and over again, I've told you know, the, the guy, he said, look, look, I don't, I don't like green eggs and ham. 
It's, it's, it's like Jesus says, I keep saying over and over again that the Father and I are one, and y'all can't seem to get it. I am the voice of God. I, I am narrating for God now. I'm the Son. Uh, the Father and I are one. It's a triune God, and you're dealing with the Son. And he said, so the fact that you have been with me, you have seen the Father. Because I narrate for him. The Father and I are one. 14.8. 14.8. Philip steps up and says, Lord, show us the Father. And that'll be enough for us. Can you imagine what this must feel like? You, you think back to Moses. Moses kept demanding, I want to see the glory of God. I want to see your glory. And so what, what God said was, you can't. If you, if you saw my full glory, it'll kill you. You can't see the Father without some sort of mediator. And then, you know, Paul tells Timothy that we have a mediator. Who is that in the media? We have one. I know this flies in the face of some theology out there, but, but Paul writes to Timothy, we have one mediator between us and the Father, and that's Jesus, period. You know, you know my, my, my pastor's not my mediator. He's my shepherd, but he's not my mediator. He shepherds the flock. I don't have to go to my pastor for him to intervene between me and, 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 and the Father. Jesus did that. And Jesus said, you have access to the Father. He's saying it right here. You have access to the Father through me, period. And so Philip, not understanding, is saying, look, no, no, we don't think you and the Father are one. Show us the Father. Moses asked this, and what did the Father say? Look, I'll let you look at the back of my trail as I go by. You, you, can, you can watch me going away, but you can't look, look at me. I'll, I'll kill you. So really what Jesus has said is, I've come so that the Father doesn't kill you. I'm here to be the narrator of the Father. I've taken on human flesh right now. Now, we're about to end that, but I've taken home on human flesh. I'm limiting my glory. I'm speaking to you. The Father is speaking through me. Why? So the Father doesn't kill you. You can't see the Father in all his glory because he's holy and you're not, and I'm trying to redeem you to make you holy. If I let you see the Father, Philip, in the way you want to see him, you'll be dead. So you look, I am, I am the Father, Philip. And Philip doesn't understand this, and Jesus says, now he's getting frustrated. <clears throat> Jesus says to him, to Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Now let's, let's let that land a minute. Because we're about to get into something that's going to be really challenging in here. Okay? And so... What Jesus is saying to you and me, those of us in here that claim, I, I tell you, I'm with Jesus. Thumbs up, Rick. I'm, I'm with Jesus. I was just, ha I was just handed a, a book that I can't wait to jump into about cultural Christianity, and the name of the book is The Unsaved Christians. And, and I can't wait to jump into it because it's all about cultural Christianity. And uh, the men's conference we just did this past weekend, you could just feel us having to chop wood because, you know, everybody in Dothan, Alabama and surrounding areas is saved. And then before you know it, at the end, when they start hearing the standard, a lot of them come to the conclusion, I haven't been changed by Jesus. But Jesus could ask any of us, couldn't he? You've been with me this long, and you still don't know me. You've claimed to be a Christian for so long, and I look at your life, and I don't see the word that's coming up. I don't see obedience. I don't see transformation. I don't see the new life. But yet, Rick, not Philip, Rick, how long have you claimed to know me? And how long have you been with me and you still don't know me? You're still continuing this garbage in your life. You still don't understand redemption. You still don't understand holiness. You still don't know me. And that's what he's saying to Philip and he's saying to us. And then, then he goes on. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do I even need to explain this? Does this need commentary? I mean, he's coming to Philip and he's saying, I, I understand that you think highly of me, but that's not enough. Let that land a minute. You've made it clear you think highly of me, but it's obvious you still don't think I'm God. You still don't think I'm the Father. You don't think I represent the Father because if you did, you, wouldn't, you would stop asking me to see the Father. I've told you that the Father and I are one, so really you think highly of me, but you don't belong to me. Let that sit a minute. 
there's a lot of people think highly of Jesus and, and his love your neighbors, you love yourself and treat people the way you want to be treated. And, and, and they think highly of some of the moral things that are out there. They think highly of Jesus, but they don't belong to Jesus. And they don't worship Jesus. And they don't submit to Jesus. Well, guys, I got news for you. There's a lot of people in my life that I think highly of, but they, don't, they didn't redeem me. Matter of fact, they got no hope to redeem me. I think highly of my earthly father, but he can't do anything to get me to heaven. And he's not worthy of worship. So to think highly of Jesus really doesn't mean a whole lot at all. He says, but, 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 but you still don't know me. You, you still, I've told you that the father and I are one. And if you notice this time, he says, you think highly of me, but, but you have not been brought to the point where you understand that the Father and I are the same. You don't understand that I am the glory of God. And then in nine, he's getting to like a tinge of sadness now. I mean, there's a tinge of sadness when you get into nine, when he is asking the question, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you still not know me? There's a tinge of sadness. Those closest to him, you know what they're displaying? You ever heard you can't see the forest for the trees? They're so close to Jesus, but yet they're still spiritually blind. And, and, I mean, and it's breaking his heart. I mean, there's a tinge of sadness now. How can this be? How many times have we had to crawl back to Jesus, I know I have, and get on my face and say, I know you cannot believe. You can't believe 24 years I've been following you and I did this today. I know you can't believe it. And Jesus just said, Burgess, how in the world could we have been through what we've been through and you still do this? Sanctification is hard and it's long, but it but it but it's 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 worthy. And he says they spend they spent time to him with with Jesus, but they're still and this has been really the theme to me in my opinion throughout the Gospel of John. They've spent time with Jesus, but they're still devoted to a version of Jesus that isn't correct. They're missing his deity. They're missing it. They're missing it. And there's a lot of religions out there that, that they're, they're devoted to Jesus, but they reject his deity. And if you reject the deity of Jesus, it's blasphemy. That's a false religion. I don't care how well behaved they may be. I don't care how many good things they may say. If they reject the deity of Jesus, it is blasphemy, period. And he's saying, y'all spent time with me. And you're somewhat devoted to the version of me that you're comfortable with. But you don't have it right. You can know a lot about Jesus and still not know Jesus. 1410, we continue. Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Don't you believe... Don't you believe means, you know what he says? Don't miss this. When he says, don't you believe, the way, the way it's being interpreted here in the original Greek, don't you believe. You know what that indicates? You should. <laughs> you should. This is no more longer pleading about, well, in a minute I'm going to make the case and you'll get it. He's literally saying, we've kind of passed that. You should believe by now. We're past it. I've made the presentation. At this point, you're just rejecting it. Don't you believe? Meaning you should already believe. You should already have this. It's clear this blindness lasts until the Holy Spirit's poured out. Now we talk about the game changer in Acts chapter 2. See, they don't have it. You know, like these glasses. Right now, they're still looking and, and whatever. And, and hey, right here's the Holy Spirit. Come out chapter 2. Whoop, we got it. We're going to get it in Acts chapter 2. We don't have it now. We still had not figured it out. 14.11, believe me that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. 14.10, you ever, you ever been here? Did y'all miss the miracles? Did y'all miss the signs? Look, if you can't just believe on what I say, 
Do you remember all the things I've done? How do you explain that away? He's really calling them to remember what John calls in his gospel the signs. The signs of what? That I'm God. Well, you know, he did raise that guy from the dead. You remember the 5,000 thing? Then he did it again with 4,000. Hey, does anybody remember the storm? Oh, wait a minute. What we know and about, about God is, is God's the one that controls the, the weather. We learned that as Jewish men. He controlled the weather. Do you remember the little girl that he says she's only sleeping? Do you remember the woman that touched him and stopped bleeding for 12 years? You know what he's saying? Do y'all remember all this? He's appealing to that. Think about how many things, you know, one of the reasons why when somebody says, well, how do you know that Jesus is real? How do you know this God you believe in is real? Because I can look into my life and see supernatural things that only can be explained by him. You want to want to miss this, this. Do you really think unredeemed Rick is going to sit here and meet at, here at lunch on Wednesdays for four years? No, not a chance. If I don't have to work today, I'm fishing. If I'm done, I'm gone. I'm doing something else. I'm not. I love you, but I don't love you enough to meet you here for lunch every Wednesday. I don't. I'm not that good a person. I don't have time to spend with this many people. Now, we're doing this because I look forward to my spirit burns for this every Wednesday. It's, it, it's craving it every Wednesday. I can't wait to get into the Word of God and just eat. Because you know what? I love what my youngest son said. I asked him, why do you believe? Why do you believe? You don't believe because your mom and daddy. He said, no. <laughs> Which he said that so confidently. I just said, uh, and uh, you know what he said? It's the only thing that makes any sense. I, I've weighed out the rest of the world. I've looked around. I've heard a lot of garbage out there, seen a lot of garbage. Nothing else makes sense. All this other stuff, really, it, it, they, they never can quite answer the questions of a child. So he's, he's only 18 years old. But he still says, the Word of God's the only thing that's ever answered the questions of, of, of a child. Who am I? Where did I come from? And why am I here? Science has never answered that. <laughs> they, always, they always stumble a little bit. right? They got nowhere to go with that. So science, who am I? Where did I come from, and why am I here? You know what science says? Science says, all we do is study the things that are already here. We can't tell you where this all began. We can't tell you where you came from, and we sure can't tell you why you're here. But the Word of God can, and he's appealing to the signs here and still. Uh, next, let's go to, um, to 14, um, 11, no, 12, 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Look out, greater works? What? There's going to be greater works done than you did? So what does he mean by that? That's a biggie. Well, greater works will be done because of the resolve and the clarity the disciples in the church will have now that Jesus has gone to the Father. There's no more gray area and wondering what's going on. Think about it. Jesus has spent this whole three years basically doing what? Trying to convince everybody of who he is. And, it, and he had to come. He's not talking about we're going to do greater miracles than he did. He said we're going to do greater works. And he's saying, you guys, what we did for the last three years is nothing to compare to what you're going to do. You remember, remember John the Baptist? No man born of a woman is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John. That's what he's talking about. Look, he said John was limited. Frankly, I've, I've, I have suppressed my glory and taken on some limits. We've spent three years really kind of debating and getting ready for what's about to happen. But all this confusion, all this not knowing what your role is, not knowing who I am, not being completely transformed, that's all about to end which is why it's good that I go. 
all that's about to end and I'm going to bring down the Holy Spirit on you and you're going to have so much resolve, you have so much clarity that the disciples and my church will, 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 will go out and will do more than we did in these last three years. It will be bigger than it was and, and it, we, you will no longer stand around asking these stupid questions you're asking me right now. That ain't going to happen anymore. It'll be greater than this. And it certainly has been, hasn't it? It certainly has been. And just like right now, let me tell you this, we can stand right here and talk about Jesus. Do you know the thing we're talking about right now in this room? By the time we get to next week, there'll be anywhere from five to 7,000 people that will take this Bible study. And we never left. Greater things. We got a lot. Hey, we, we ought to be ashamed if we haven't done more than the original 12. Ashamed. How limited they were on what they could and couldn't do for the kingdom. And we've been given everything to advance it. You know what? There'll be people that will die and go to hell. Hey, Rick, how, what does God do with people who hadn't heard before? Maybe hold us accountable for it. But why hadn't they heard? You know how many times we were having the Global Impact Celebration? Do you realize one of the things that broke my heart the most is when I was talking to a missionary that found an unreached people group, and they started leading him to Jesus, and they started, they started telling him the gospel, and the guy says something in his own language, and they had an interpreter. They didn't know what the language was, and he said, what did he say? You know what he said? Never heard the gospel. And guess what this guy said in his own native tongue? The interpreter looks to the English-speaking missionary and says, he said, that's good news. And you know what else he's saying? Why is it taking y'all so long? Where you been? We've been waiting. How many people had died in that tribe before they ever got there? Where you been? And we have all this technology. We have all this wealth. And he says, greater things you'll do. I'm going to give you the ability to do greater things. And we do see in Acts chapter 2, which we talked about in our study of Acts, that was a game changer. Let's go to 13 and 14. So that's what that means if you're ever wondering. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Watch out. Watch out. Here comes the health, wealth, and prosperity, folks, and they're riding in. Be real careful right here. You know, if you just take this verse and just throw it out there with no, with no references before or after it, you kind of start thinking, man, I guess if I just say, do this in Jesus' name, he does it. Surely y'all know that doesn't happen, right? Because I may ask something in Jesus' name that he ain't in. You know, that, that, that's, that's not what he's saying in these verses. Uh, so you'll hear that a lot on cable, but that, that is not correct. The disciples' fruitful conduct will be the result of the prayers offered in Jesus' name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. You, know, you say something, and we pray this in Jesus' name. We do that because he says, ask me, means is, is, is to ask Jesus to pour out his power on you. Jesus works through the disciples, and it's no longer limited by his humanness. He can now empower them in his glory to advance outside of the Jewish confines to now go out and reach the world. He, of course, is speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, there's going to be a time comes... And you're saying, hey, Jesus, we need the power to accomplish this for the kingdom. He says, you pray in my name. You ask for the power to, to advance my kingdom. You ask for the power to do what I've commanded you to do, and I'll do it. This is not, I ask Jesus for a new car, and if I ask it right and walk around in a circle and jump up and down and touch my nose twice, I get it. We don't sit there and order the great I am around and ask him to go do stuff for us. No, what he's saying is, if you're wondering how you're going to do what I told you to do, you can't do it without me, but you ask it in my name, I'll give you the power to do it. You want to change? Ask in my name, I'll change you. You want to go reach the world? You ask in my name and I'll give it to you. You want the power of the Holy Spirit? You ask it in my name and you'll have it. This is not about making a Christmas list and giving it to God in Jesus' name. You can ask all day long to do something outside of God's will in Jesus' name, and it won't mean anything. And why do we know this? Acts chapter 19. We got the seven sons of Sceva. They asked for something in Jesus' name, and it didn't happen. Right? Why didn't it happen? They didn't belong to Jesus. And what were they trying to do? Defeat evil spirits. But yet, those that were with them were defeating evil spirits. Why? Because they asked in Jesus' name 
for the spirit that they had access to because they belonged to Jesus and they got it. But the seven sons of Sceva didn't get it. Hey, in the name that Paul calls upon, come out of this man. And the demon answered, Paul, we Jesus, we know. Don't miss that, demonic faith. Paul, we recognize. Who are you? Meaning, well, wait a minute, Rick. Jesus said anything you ask in his name, he'll do. No, not if you don't belong to him, he won't. I mean, not, you, you don't have any power over demons if you don't belong to Jesus. You got nothing. The demons laughed at him, and they beat the man, and they, they stripped these sons naked. I don't know what it is with demons or stripping people naked, but they always do it. And they ran for their lives. So Jesus' name in their hands didn't have any power at all. And if you sit there and say, Jesus, I want the power to be a big deal, you ain't going to get that. But if you say, Jesus, I want the power to be obedient to what you called me to do, well, then you'll get that. You don't think Jesus? Jesus, it's just, it's just like sexual purity. We're going to get into this in a minute. I say, this is what I try to teach my kids. Some listen, some don't. Look, sexual purity, God has never called us to a standard that he can't accomplish. Now, he's, he may call you to a standard you can't accomplish. That old flesh, it's pretty tough, isn't it? That's the reason why it's got, it's got to be defeated by what? Feeding the Spirit. But if you want to be sexually pure, you know what you do? In Jesus' name, I want to be sexually pure. Jesus, give me the power for me not to compromise you, and I'm going to be obedient to you because I'm going for your standard, not my own. Will you give me the power to do that? You know what he says? Yes. If you give in to sexual impurity, it's because you were weak. It wasn't because I was weak. It's because you turned against me. You went your own way. Because you can't say in Jesus' name, make this woman sleep with me tonight. Because now you're asking him to do something that he calls sin. You ever see these people that say somehow that Jesus called them to sin so they could be in his will? <laughs> no, 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 that doesn't happen with the holy God. Now, can we commit sin? I have, and he still do the fix it, even though I've got earthly repercussions, and get me back into his will? Sure. After repentance. And can, and can he make the sexually impure pure? Yes, through repentance. But, but there's nothing that he's called us to do that he says you don't have the power to do. If you can't do what I called you to do, it's on you, it's not on me. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that they're going to, he said, when I send you out to do what I've asked you to do, you're going to have the power to do it. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And here we go. The great John 14, 15. And this is, man, we, 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 we're struggling with this right now in the Western church. We, we've, we, we, we've wanted so much. We're so afraid of being called mean. We're so afraid of being deemed unkind. We're so afraid of being deemed ungracious. And we're so afraid of being called legalistic that we have been willing to compromise obedience. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is love for Jesus. Rick, where'd you get that? Right here. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Period. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To do greater things, they will need greater power. The manifestation of God himself by his spirit. Oh, here it comes. The obedience theme now becomes completely introduced. Jesus Christ is saying right now, I've told you the power's coming. I told you, you that I'll give you the power to do what I need you to do. I've got you set up. I've got you ready to go. I'm about to go to the cross. It's good that I go. I'm going to give you the counselor. I'm going to give you the comforter. I'm going to give you the helper. We'll talk about this in a minute. I hope we get there today. If not, we'll get it next week. But here's what he's saying. It's almost like Jesus Christ says, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome obedience. And here it comes. And we're like, <gasps> when, when's the last time you heard anybody preach on obedience? I'm sure it happened somewhere. I sure hope so. I hope you're in a church that preaches that. But, but listen to this. So Jesus said, if we loved him, we will keep uh, his commandments. There, there's no fruitfulness that will come to those who think they can manipulate the exalted Christ. Ooh. Thank you, D.A. Carson, for that one. Let me give him props on that one. When I saw that line, he's talking about obedience. He said, no fruitfulness in any life will come to those who think they can manipulate the exalted Christ. 
I got to find some way around this. I got to find some way around this obedience command. How do I get around it? I got to become a grace abuser. Back in your mind, Romans 6, Paul said, you've been freed from sin. You haven't been freed to sin. As a matter of fact, you, now the, the, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and it may mean you, 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 that you can't quite get it right. You may not get perfection, but you're going to get progress. And I will tell you this, if the Holy Spirit really dwells inside you, you will never be okay with sin again. Not saying you won't struggle with it, but you'll never be okay with it. Does that make sense? Have you ever got to the point that you were doing something so stupid? Are you in a place you shouldn't have been? Are you watching something or hearing something you shouldn't have? And you start getting that nauseating feeling like saying, I must stop this right now because I feel the displeasure of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that's like, by the way, it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. I'm sorry. I'm just going to love you enough to tell you that you just lost. I remember hearing this. And I obviously have prayers in this area. I remember hearing the testimony of a woman who had been sexually impure and bisexual, homosexual, fornicator. And she said, you know, when she gave her life to Jesus, she said, I was literally in the middle of an act and I sensed the displeasure of God. I, I just sensed his displeasure. How in the world am I doing this in front of a holy God? And she repented. And when she repented, he changed her. But how has she changed? By sensing his displeasure. Do you sense God's displeasure when you're, when you're outside him? When you're, when, you're, when you're going back to the flesh? Jesus said we're supposed to have that once we receive the Holy Spirit. And this is what, when we move forward now, and I hope we can make it, let me tell you what's going to dominate the rest of chapter 14. Write these down. If you love me. It's going to dominate the rest of this chapter. If you love me. Hey, man, listen to me. Let's stop all this. Hey, look, well, about God's love for us. We got it. He went to the cross. He's on record for how much he, he loves us. Jesus is saying, it's good that I go. I'm going to redeem you. But the rest of chapter 14, he starts a theme that we're supposed to have. The question isn't if God loves us. The question is, do we love God? That's the new thing. And he says, if you do, then you obey me. Period. That's how you show me you love me. What do we always say? Somebody says, hey, man, you can count on me. Well, show me. You ever had somebody tell you that you could count on them, but, but you couldn't? Well, then that wasn't true, was it? <laughs> hey, you can count on me, Jesus. We'll see. Look. I love the men's conference we had this weekend. It was fantastic. We had over 1,500 men. It was wonderful. The Holy Spirit was everywhere. People were being crushed. But I don't know how many of these men that, that got on their face before God and cried and weeped and said things to, in the lobby. I don't know how many of them are real. I don't know. It might have been an emotional experience. I don't know. Now, do I think the gospel demands a response? I do. Am I of the school of not having a response? I am not. Because Acts chapter 2, they seem to have one. I guess good enough for Acts chapter 2, chapter two, good enough for me. But what I'm saying is, I don't know who's sincere and who's not. You know what Jesus said? You want to know who's sincere? You'll see. You'll see. It'll show up. Either that it wasn't sincere or that, or, or that it was. And how will it show up if they love me? Well, how will I know if they love you? If they obey me. Period. So now this theme starts. The, the, the uncompromising connection between the love of Christ and obedience starts now, and Jesus wants to make sure they understand it. Do you understand it? Do I understand it? It's not because he didn't cover it, because he's going to cover it the rest of the way. So he goes on. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look at 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some of your Bibles might say counselor. Uh, and, and we're talking about who is that? That's the Holy Spirit, okay? To be with you forever. So, so we're about to get, he's, he, he, I like this, listen to this. Jesus says, I'm going to go ask the Father to provide for you the Holy Spirit, my presence, when I, when I return to full glory, I'm going to ask the Father to give you the helper, the counselor, and, and how about this? It's clearly something that has been given to us at the request of the Son to the Father. Somebody say amen to that. Jesus said, oh, by the way, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to go talk to my Father, and I'm going to say, will you give them the Holy Spirit? And you know what the Father said? Yes, I will. 
If you don't have the Holy Spirit, that's on you. It's been made available to you. I mean, Jesus went to the Father and asked it for you. 17. So even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be with you. What's this talking about? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. That's the same thing. Jesus is what? The truth. He's already said that. I'm the way and I'm the truth. So if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is the glorification of who? Jesus. Do you know that's the whole role of the Holy Spirit? Glorify Jesus. Man, I don't know if Jesus is around. Holy Spirit says, yes, He is. Here's his presence. His full presence is with, is, is with you all the time. And, and so he illuminates Jesus, the spirit of truth. He helps proclaim the truth. And the world does not know the spirit of truth. Why? Because they can't see it. Rick, why does the world keep, keep not failing to see the truth? They, they, because they don't see it. They don't have the spirit of truth. They, they, they can't see it because it's not there. Look at 14, now 18 through 20. I will not leave you as orphans. That's cool. I will come to you yet a little while, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is not going to abandon them. He will always be with them. You will, I love this, you're going to get all of me after the resurrection. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You're going to see me be crucified. You're going to see me die. But when that happens, listen, remember, I told you I wasn't going to leave you as an orphan. You belong to me and I won't leave you. As a matter of fact, if you'll just wait, I'm going to come back after the resurrection and I'm going to give you my whole glory. Acts chapter 2. And he's, he's reminding them of that. They're not going to be orphaned. 1421. So many beautiful words in this. Look at 21st, I'm sorry. In that day... You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So in, 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 when, when he says this, same thing. He said, you're going to get everything that is me. And look, when this thing, when I, when I go back, when I, you see me ascend, and I send down the, the, the whole presence of the Holy Spirit that I asked the Father to give you, at that point, you're going to know, and you're going to have that relationship. That, listen, this is so wonderful. The relationship between me and the Father is now going to be available to you because the relationship with you and me will be the same as me with the Father, the Father, the Son, through His whole presence to you. You're about to be welcomed into the whole. You're going to be a co-heir with me. That's big. Do you, do you, do you live like you're a co-heir with Christ? Well, you should. <laughs> because He worked really hard to make you one. There was was quite a sacrifice that came of that. Look at 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Here's the theme continuing. If they want the proper relationship with Jesus and the Father, it is clear that clarity comes from obedience. (laughs) Obedience. Not grace abuse, not justification, not excuses. It comes from obedience. Obedience. The oneness with Jesus has the same requirement of the the oneness between the Father and the Son. It is a condition. Jesus says, what What did Jesus always tell us? I obey the Father. I'm here to do the will of the Father. I obey my Father. And as I obey the Father, you as my followers, you obey me. That's the line. Jesus didn't say, obey me. I've never showed you an example of this, so figure it out. He showed us exactly what to do. As I obey the Father, you obey me. Well, I don't know if we want to obey you, Jesus. Well, then, then you know what? I'll never manifest myself to you. You won't experience Jesus with that obedience. It's clear. I mean, he, he says this as clear as he could possibly say it. And he says, this is the condition. If you want to, to fully experience me, listen to what he says again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, not whoever has my commandments and believes in them, not whoever has my commandments and knows them. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. 
and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So now I'm getting the approval of the Father because I'm loving Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, then the Father receives you and says, good, you love me. Then how about this? The Father approves of you, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know, if Jesus isn't manifesting himself to you, it's probably because you're in some sort of disobedience. He can't. I can't be part of this. You know, that, that, that's they, look, let me tell you, if you ask Jesus to leave your life, you want to do something on your own, he'll leave. And you say, man, I feel, a, I feel a distance between me and Jesus now. Yeah, that's called sin. It's a barrier between you and Jesus. Hey, I'm not doing what Jesus told me to do. I bet you feel like you're kind of on the outside looking in. You don't really feel like you're in sync with him, do you? You know why? You can't be. I want Jesus to manifest himself to me. Well, then change. Be obedient. Do what he says to do. Don't come up with a version of, of his commandments that are your own. I manifest myself to those that obey me. Judas steps up. This is not Judas who betrayed him. This, this is not him. John makes that clear. This is Judas who was the son of James. It was one of the original 12. Judas, not Iscariot, says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You know what he's saying here? Look, we know about this messianic deal. Now, they got it wrong. They're missing this. What they're really believing in is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back that all of us haven't seen yet. That's what they keep picturing. We've heard about Messiah. It's this big conquering glorification. How in the world are you going to manifest yourself to us and the world not see you? What are you talking about? That's not even possible. Because they're, they're thinking of the second coming. They're, they're visioning that kind of triumph of, of, of Messiah. And, and you, by the way, you'll see this Judas is mentioned in Luke 6, 16. Uh, so write that down too. He's not asking why. He's asking how. How will this happen? How are you going to be so glorious and the world not see you and believe? Won't the world be startled by the messianic king? That's what Judas is asking. He's not saying it's not going to happen. He doesn't understand how the world's not going to see it. And Jesus goes on to, to, try, to try to help him with this a little bit. He goes what? Right back to obedience. You would think Jesus would stand there a minute. And you know what he does? He immediately gets back on the obedience thing. Immediately. Guys, can Jesus talk about obedience anymore in this chapter? So he comes back and he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, and, and we, the Father and him, will come to him and make our home with him. Look at 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. Here we go. Jesus goes back to the obedience theme. The world will not know me because the world will not obey me, Judas. Oh, so wait a minute. We're not having this big messianic king? We will, not this time. Hey, Judas, only those that obey me are going to know who I am. If the world doesn't obey me, they're not going to see me. They're not going to know me. Hey, if you don't obey Jesus, he just becomes some myth you've heard about. The ones who love me are going to obey me. The ones who don't love me won't obey me, so they won't know me, Judas. They won't see me. Boy, obedience sounds like it's a really big deal. Now, you listen to enough things that are being said nowadays. It's like, it's like obedience doesn't mean anything. And I, you ever, you ever get, I get this sense a lot of times. I hate to say it. So a lot of times I sit there and I start thinking to myself, well, I guess it never happens. All I ever hear is a bunch of people talking about how nothing's ever really changed, but Jesus still loves them. He's still gracious. You know, I don't. I keep messing up, but Jesus still loves me. He's so gracious. He's so wonderful. I don't see Jesus preaching that. I don't see Jesus preaching that we keep messing up. I don't see Jesus uh, preaching that we keep doing the same things we've always done. Now, you may have new things you struggle with that needs to be defeated through sanctification. I don't see Jesus preaching that nothing changes about us. I don't. That's Jesus. No, he says, obedience is the sign of those who love me. And when you are obedient, then I manifest myself to you fully. And if you are obedient to me, it's because you love me. And when you love me, then you also love the Father. And when you love, and love the Father, the Father will reveal himself to you. You'll be in the right standing with us. Obedience is big. And it's not legalism. It's not a code of conduct. It is just simply saying, I live in a way that reflects Jesus, not that reflects my flesh. Because if the Spirit's in there and, it's, and, it's his, and He's fully manifesting Himself to me, that Spirit ought to come out. The fruits of the Spirit. Remember we studied that? The fruits of the Spirit. 
There's fruits of the Spirit and there's fruits of the flesh. What does your life look like? Which one is it? And he says, if it's the fruit of the flesh, that means you and I are not, then we're not in the proper relationship. Something's wrong. Not talking about stumbles, not talking about how hey, I made a mistake. You, you go to 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 3. Those that deliberately and perpetually keep on sinning are the children of the devil. They are not the children of God. Why? Why is John saying that? Well, because of this. Because he was there when Jesus said this. If you love me, you obey me. The ones who love me obey me. The ones who don't, they don't. Any sin that is still in my life, I'm not talking about a stumble. I'm talking about if there's something in my life that I keep going back to. If you keep going back to that computer and watching porn, you keep turning on things and watching that you shouldn't watch, your mouth is still nasty as it's ever been, you're still telling dirty jokes, you're still uh, lusting after women that are not your wife, you're still being sexually impure. The reason why you continue to do those things, or if I did them, I was continue to do those things, is because we still love that more than we love Jesus. Period. That's, that's the Word of God. It's still here because we love it more. I still have a, a, a hobby in a place it shouldn't be because you love it more than Jesus. I still have my children in a place they shouldn't be because you love them more than Jesus. I still have my vocation in a place it shouldn't be because you still love it more than you love Jesus. I still flirt with the woman at work because you love her more than you love Jesus and you love that lust. You like to walk in that tight wire. You like the sexual gratification from it and you like that more than you like Jesus. You found Jesus to be unsatisfying. So you're looking for something else. And you know what he says? That's because you don't love me. That's because you don't love me. Hey, Rick, I don't like your tone. I don't care. Get over it. If you don't like my tone, you can come up here and get in my face when this thing's over. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of watching men continue to make the same stupid mistakes over and over again when Jesus said, I've offered the power for that not to happen. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And, and hey, I ain't never going to uh, achieve perfection, but I'm telling you, I'm going to achieve progress. Not because of I'm great or I got great self-control, because I don't. It's because Jesus really is that strong. And I have found that he has, now that I've tasted that, it is so much more satisfying than anything the world has. And honestly, when I get with you, and if I ever have time and I have to do small talk and all that stuff, it's just because I want you to be my friend for a minute. Because I don't want you to get tired of me. I'd rather be talking about Jesus. There's nothing in this world that, 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 that calls me to it. I got, I'm, I'm losing my whole desire for this place because I found Jesus to be so much better. And you know what? I love him because he first loved me. Gosh, can you imagine how you would feel if you had died for me, suffered for me? And my response to that was, eh. Are you thankful for that? Eh. You know you had hell coming, right? Did I? I don't know. I'm not that bad a person. You know, if you don't appreciate what Jesus did to you or did for you and is willing to do to you, you must somehow think you were you didn't need redemption. Well, do you, are you one of these people you think you don't have anything to be forgiven for? <laughs> if you think that, you're a joke and you've got to be the most arrogant disgusting human being that I've ever known. It starts with humility and brokenness to realize that without that cross, we're all going to hell. And the fact that he did it, how can we respond to that with such apathy? How can anything else in our life ever be as important? It's eternity. Y'all realize you go, I, you know what shocked me? And I guess I'll go ahead and stop here. We'll come back and finish the rest of it. Can I tell you what shocked me a little bit? I don't have my phone. The guy who did the... Um, did the men's conference this weekend. He's just some young guy, man, that, that they couldn't get the churches to work with him, couldn't get anybody to help him. And he just said, I feel like I need to do this. I think I need to do this. It was ragingly successful. And he sends me a tech and I, text, and I appreciate his, his frankness. He said, I need to learn because you ain't going to live much longer. Who's going to do it when you're dead? And it kind of hit me. This guy thinks I'm going to die pretty soon. I got news for you. I am going to die pretty soon. I don't have that much longer left. And this young guy saying, I'll take the baton. 
So let me learn from you. Let, will you mentor me? Will you work with me? Because who's going to do it when you're dead? Are your kids ready to go? Have, have you passed it on to them? Are they, are they ready to take the baton? Are they ready to go? Because I got news for you guys. Those of you that are my age or older, we ain't got that much longer left. We better make it count. So I'll close with this, and we'll come back and pick up the rest of it next week. You're going to find that he, he goes back and some of the next of it is, is repetitive. But, but I'll, just, I'll just leave and go ahead and get to 24, and then I'll, then I'll lead, leave with this. 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the Father sent me. It says this. Duty is not it, because I don't want you to leave here thinking that. I have a duty to Jesus. That's not it. That doesn't result in obedience. The only thing that produces obedience is this. Love for Jesus. Duty won't do it. We always fail at that. So don't look at it that way. I hope you didn't take that from this. If you love me, you'll obey. If you want to see obedience produced in your life, and I want to see it produced in mine, it starts with a one-step program. Love for Jesus. And it's impossible for you to fall in love with somebody you don't know anything about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this extremely convicting chapter in the Gospel of John. Thank you, Lord. You couldn't have said it any clearer. I stand here with the rest of these men under conviction, Lord. Because if we look at our life in any areas where we don't see the obedience to you, these are just areas that we, we love something more than we love you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for going there and paying the debt that we deserved. Thank you, Lord, for defeating eternal death for us. And thank you, Lord, for when you ascended, when you said, it's good that I go, that you gave us the comforter, you gave us the help for, helper, you gave us the counselor, and that is your Holy Spirit that is glorifying you in our lives. May we be sensitive to it, and may we never be the same. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll finish this out and get into a little bit of 15 next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.